Good day, listeners. As we went to record on Friday evening, the beleaguered health secretary, Matt Hancock, was still in position, still in post, holding on, despite the scandal of the week that saw him in rather compromising positions with an advisor in the Department for Health. However, despite the apologies, despite the Prime Minister saying that he considered the matter closed, not 24 hours later, our Matt had rightfully resigned and has been replaced by the former Chancellor, Sajid Javid. As I said, we didn't get to cover this because we recorded beforehand. However, be assured, we'll briefly cover this next week. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Corey is going to be giving us his usual exuberant rundown of PMQs today. Just a trigger warning, um, a lot of the questions that we are going to cover today in the PMQs were to do with sexual assault and rape. So if that's something that you would prefer to not listen to, I would suggest to skip ahead to the next section and off we go. Indeed. So this week, PMQs was a bit different, a bit more sedate, a bit more grown up, sort of. Grown up? Yeah, and it was probably a topic. So all of Keir Starmer's questions this week were um, around the government's record on, I was going to say prosecuting, but even uh, charging for um, rape allegations. So um, the first question was simply um, your boy Keir asking the Prime Minister why he thinks rape convictions, rape charges and convictions are so low. And pretty much all of the questions were about that. I guess they were maybe being um, uh, responsible given the topic. So there weren't as many, you know, underhand jibes at each other. I mean, there were obviously the clear political um, jibes, but, you know, not the immature, childish stuff we've become accustomed to, especially from Bojo. That's um, good to know. So before I uh, give a little rundown of, you know, what they actually spoke about, I think it was interesting to note that uh, Jess Phillips made a complaint on the on Thursday, which was the day after PMQs, uh, about one of the responses that Johnson gave to another question during Prime Minister's questions. Um, and she found it quite offensive in terms of how he essentially just fobbed off a question uh, with regards to women's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, something to know and something folks might want to look back on. But yes, back to the questions. Um, as I said, they were essentially Starmer peppering the Prime Minister on why he, uh, why why rape convictions and rape charges were so low. Um, a staggering 98.4% of rape allegations mm. end up without even a charge. Never mind a conviction, never mind a prosecution, never mind a conviction, uh, which is a crazily high number when you think about it. So um, it's extremely high. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying it is extremely high. But I think I just to add context, it's been that high for a while. You know, it's not sort of a new occurrence. It was previously 96, as I was saying to Corey earlier. So this is not a new problem. I think it's been something that's happening over success, successive governments. And it's also an issue across the, the West, if not further, to be honest, actually. So I'm not sh- I think the solution isn't just, you know, hammering down per se. There's obviously 
a wider structural problem that requires solving and it probably actually would need some sort of cross parliamentary work group to actually find the solution to this to be honest well yes and that was one of the i always find it fascinating with this current iteration of a government i call it a current iteration because if you listen to a lot of what current uh, secretaries of state and ministers and, and Boris Johnson, if you listen to them long enough, you'll think that they've only, that conservatives have only been in power for 18 months since the end I of mean, 2019, um, when really they've been in power since 2010, ostensibly and definitely solely since 2015. Um, and so you mentioned about this is a problem that's been going on for a while. You know, Johnson himself made made comment that you know it's been a it's been a, a long-running problem and this government is fixing it and i always find it so interesting when they talk about they're fixing things and they're putting more you know one of the things they always fall back on whether it's this issue which he did or other issues related to sort of crime um they will they will fall back on saying that they've you know, especially pretty patel she does this they've added twenty thousand or they're adding twenty thousand new police they'll also talk about the nurses they're adding but then it's like yeah, but you're adding the amount of police back to the level that it was in 2010. What happened in 2010? Oh, conservative slash Lib Dem government. So it's just fascinating, this kind of, um, just they, just, they just forget the fact that they've, they've been in power. But obviously, it's a new prime minister, it's a new government. So they're very keen to dispense with the past and, and, and sort of separate themselves from the Cameron and the May administrations. So one of the things he mentioned was this has been a problem for a while. Starmer said the same thing. And then he um, also then he used it as uh, an opportunity to to hit Starmer over the head when it comes to the recent police and crime bill, which was posed before Parliament, which I think we discussed in one of the very earlier episodes, because this was back in sort of April. Um, that bill eventually, after all of the protests, the kill the bill protests uh, was shelved and is due to be brought back before Parliament at some point. And he made a point in about three of the six answers of criticizing Labour for not voting for that bill. Which I thought was, I mean, it, on the face of it, it makes sense. It's like, why are you talking about, you know, it's a thing where, okay, okay, Labour, why are you talking about the fact that the prosecution and charge and rape isn't charged, the charge is not brought for rape at a nearly high enough level, but then why do you vote against this crime bill? So on the face of it, it sounds like a good comeback, but I it's thought, not. I thought Stam handled it quite well because he, and, and again, because Johnson kept saying this in about three of his answers, he had to repeat the same thing three times. That bill and the specific, that bill would only cover, that only, that bill only covers convictions. But what Starmer's point was that forget convictions, we're talking about charges. People are not even being charged, never mind prosecuted, never mind then convictions. So whether Labour were right or wrong to oppose that police and crime bill, I think on balance they were right to, because there are certain elements of that which were just, I mean, any previous Conservative government, were, most previous Conservative governments would, would balk at, you know, certain things like the, the stifling of free speech and protest. But so on balance, I think they were right to oppose it. But he was also right to say whether they oppose it or not, it makes no difference. The issue right now is to do with um, crime being, sorry, rape being re being charged, then prosecuted and then convicted. Um, so as I said, there's not much else really to talk about. They, those, those were all of the questions. A lot of the responses Johnson gave were the same, as I said, beating Labour over the head for not voting for that police and crime bill. And a lot of the responses were the same from Starmer. I'm going to give it a draw this week on my scorecard. I thought they were both evenly matched. It feels a bit weird scoring it on the top based on the topic, but you know, 
in terms of how they responded. I thought Johnson responded better than he has in the past. Although, as I said, a cursory knowledge of that bill shows that supporting it or opposing it would have made makes no difference to the to the levels of rape charges the problem is policing Absolutely. the problem is crime reporting the Absolutely. problem is investigation it's not the legislation is, at all no the problem is it, the problem is operational really yeah uh, the problem and again this is why i give them a draw because he did make some good points but johnson there was another point last point i'll make he made a point of, of really hammering home on the fact that and you could see you could say he's just passing the buck and, and just blaming the police but i think it was a good point he made the point that there are a lot of issues when it comes to evidence and especially you know a lot of the time women are forced to give over their phones or or, or request requested to give over their phones when it comes to reporting rape um and he was he will he, he he did he did a good job of pointing a few flaws in the sort of investigation process but again that begs the question you've been in power 11 years you've had about in that time there's been like four home secretaries why have none of them dealt with it they have oversight Mm -hmm. over the police why have they not dealt with it so whilst it was a good point as i.e yes he was he was making he was showing why the the investigation of rape is flawed a lot a lot of the elements can be flawed let me put it that Mm -hmm. way again it begs the question well why have you not done anything about it in 11 years because it wasn't the priority. It was the priority was, you know, uh, austerity and creating a hostile environment. I think that's what they've been focused on. I think because violence against women has come to the forefront, um, and also with uh, the numbers going up with the lack of rape convictions, those two going hand in hand is what is now brought this to a head. But realistically, it wasn't on the top of their agenda at all. It's not on the top of Pretty's agenda now. That's not what that's not what gets her blood going when she as a home secretary. That's not what she's involved about. Yeah. It's only from pressure. So the week opened with an explosive report from the Education Select Committee of MPs. A report around white working class uh, children being left behind in school. Um, the report stated that the use of the term white privilege is the quote opposite of reality for poor white pupils uh we had an and then we had an mp come out on monday morning essentially um again juxtaposing the phrases white privilege and white working class pupils to sort of say that you know all of this talk of white privilege has been really disadvantaging white working class pupils so what do you think about this so this report it is using the term white privilege to sort of cover up for a blanket of issues with regards to the underfunding and the allowing of white working class children to fall through the cracks. Because first of all, white privilege is not the, the no white privilege is not something that's taught in schools. It's not something that's been taught in schools and white working class children have been, ha, have been at low attaining levels for 70 plus years. This is not a new occurrence. The Conservative Party have been in power for the past 10 years and have not made any strides with regards to um, bringing white working class children up out of poverty, um, reducing child poverty, increasing their attainment levels, increasing them in um, the number of GCSEs that they get, increasing their opportunities to go to university. So all this talk about concern for white working class children is specifically white working class boys as well is not coming to fruition. So all this chatter, chatter, chatter 
where's the legwork? And then when the, you're, when the MPs are being asked about where the legwork is, they're conflating and they're going off on a tangent. They had to be, remember, that the, the Conservative Party MPs had to be pressured to feed what to feed all working class children over the summer holidays in the middle of a pandemic by a working class footballer. So, what's the truth? What's the truth? Because it's not the truth is not that they care about working class children. They were giving children tuna separated out in money bags and carrots cut into quarters, a quarter of an onion, half a pepper a third of a carrot and a money bag of tuna. That was what they were giving, that's what they were giving working class children to eat for lunchtime and consider that a balanced meal. So on that point, we had John Whitting, John Whittingdale, who is the culture secretary. He was on Good Morning Britain on uh, uh, earlier in the week. And he was asked by one of the hosts, do you care about white working class children? Yes, he replied. The presenter retorted back, so why did you vote against free school meals? How can you say you care about them when you voted against them eating? Corey, that is such a dramatic retelling. <laughs> um, well, excuse me if I studied drama. <laughs> However, it sort of buttresses your point. Um, he he asked him whether he would, he would, he, he asked him whether he would go back and change that vote to which he replied as only a politician would. I would vote with the government, which is a non-answer. Um, exactly. So, so yes, again, yeah. <laughs> it's it's another it's it's another iteration of the culture wars. I know we have to it talk really about is. the culture wars because I guess if we don't talk about them, then we give in to the people who are always talking about them and talking Absolutely. about them in the wrong way. We can't so, be like Keir Starmer. We have um, to be so I guess we have to talk about the culture wars so much so so much so that. Uh, Little plug, we are going to be starting a little blog to go alongside uh, this programme. How can you make an announcement on a brief idea that we have not yet confirmed? Excuse me. Oh. Well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So we're going to start uh, a little blog. And basically, we're going to track the culture wars with a bit of analysis because I... That's actually a really good idea, yeah. Of course it is, because yeah. I came up with it. Anyway, as I was saying... I had an idea. You know what? Carry on. Carry on. Thank you. So you were saying, um, but you were saying, saying, you mentioned something before um, about this, about you know, they're sort of making out as if it's being taught in schools. <laughs> when, what do you mean it's been, it's not being taught <laughs> in schools, like it's white ridiculous. privilege. Like, yes, it is part of the discourse in society, especially now, um, you know, that, that that phrase is used a lot in different ways, but by some people for good and some people for ill. But what this does, it reminds me of a parallel debate going on in America at the moment. I say debate, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can call it a debate, but it's, it's a, parallel, debate. a parallel culture war going on in America. Um, around critical race theory and so you have these republican politicians both on the state level and on the, the the national level who are you know banging on about critical race theory and how it's indoctrinating the kids and that it's teaching the kids to hate america and it's teaching the kids to separate themselves along race and etc 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 and it's a similar thing it's like well no critical race theory isn't being taught in schools critical race theory isn't even really being taught in at undergraduate level critical race theory for the most part is taught on the postgraduate level and oftentimes on specific subjects like law like sociology yeah. it's it, like mm -hmm. it's it, it's not even so again it's this kind of thing where you know but it's red meat isn't it because everybody yes. because as normal human beings we want to protect children so, yeah, so, it's chum in, so a bit of chum in the water and everybody starts to froth at their mouth and everybody, oh, I've got to protect my children. And I just want to say on that point, let's remember you're, we're, that you're saying that, you know, white privilege is affecting 
white working class children or the idea that they to think that they have white privileges affecting white working class children black children have to be cognizant of racism from when they enter regular society like let's be real you know a lot of black children experience racism before they finish primary school are you how are they protected they don't have the option to be protected they're experiencing it in everyday life they might not even they might not even know what it is they don't even sometimes have the words to verbalize this is racism they just know that something is iffy about this interaction when the teacher refuses to say my name correctly you know so let's like let's 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 be real yes it would be lovely to be able to protect children from the realities of the world but we can't so let's provide them with the tools to understand it so they can create a better future than the one that they're living in now like come on guys please this is a bit it's a bit ridiculous and I, I understand that white working class children are not attaining and that is an issue then do something about that issue but it's not one against the other black children are also working class um Asian children are also working class it's not about it doesn't like, we shouldn't just be making it about race and let's also remember that a lot of black children have been going to supplementary schools on the weekends because their parents recognize that they will not be able to attain just from school alone so they're going to supplementary schools to help them with their attainment issues so it's also about culture and the approaches to education your interaction with the education system whether you trust teachers and all of those things environmental factors as well contribute to how you um, experience school and how you attain in school and um, black Caribbean children are not that much further away than white um, than white children with regards to attainment. So mm -hmm. let's open let's open our eyes to these numbers. Really, far be it from me to uh, you know talk about class analysis and I mean, that that's more your lane. That's your bag. Um, however, I think what is <laughs> anyway. Okay. I think what, I, but at the same time, you know, I have eyes. We all have eyes you may like you said work to be working class you don't have to be white to be working class you don't have to be just black to be working class you don't have Asian the working class straddles every ethnicity every background so again you have to just ask the question again what what does what does this how does this division help who does it help who does it help to divide people up within the same class and I think it's pretty obvious who it helps it helps politicians and polling that's it yeah, absolutely that's the only person it helps you know why don't you talk about increase, increasing the pupil premium why don't you talk about more funding for schools outside of london because also the numbers are skewed about with regards to what's in london and what's outside of london give them more funding outside of london are you doing that provide after school club education programs are you doing that no you're trying to split the working class into different racial groups because it makes it it's saying oh well the reason that those work, the white working class children aren't doing well is because the black the black children are stealing their grades that's not that's not how it goes there's there's enough A's to go around but you're not helping these the, these kids get to see at the moment yeah and it also sort of implicitly implies it, it, sorry, it implicitly assigns blame <clears throat> you know to it's almost as if to say well you know what's really holding back the white working class kids it's all this attention on the black kids and saying that they've not got yeah. privilege when mm -hmm. that's just it's just this and is black not kids the case. doing well in school means that your kids can't do well in school and you know you did say class analysis so <laughs> let me just give you a little bit you know well, I don't yeah, want to yeah. 
I don't want to get too deep into it. But like you said, we're, if we're all in this together, and I think um, Angela Rayner said something um, about this previously when it was brought up before, what is the difference between um, a working class kid in Tottenham and a working class kid in uh, Hull? Nothing, there's no difference, but they have more in common, a white working class boy in Holland, a white working class, I mean, a black working class boy in Tottenham have more in common than a white working class boy has with a middle class or a, um, a, a, white, um, a white upper class boy at Eton. He has a lot more in common with the little boy in Tottenham, but you're telling him that actually he has something in common with Oliver and Tarquin and he doesn't. So he's trying, so he himself is saying, well, he's taking from me. How comes he's getting the grades? Because he's actually also going to Kumon, is maybe getting extra tutoring on the side, goes to Saturday school for, for, for three hours to do core subjects as well. And has, you know, a strong, a strong idea of education as a way out of poverty. Those, those are the things that matter the most. But you're telling him actually the reason that you can't get any GCSEs, but you also can't get an apprenticeship is because of the boy in Tottenham. As we record, hot off the press is rotten batty matty. Very hot and horny. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to. I mean, I didn't want to do this story because I'm like, do we have to talk about our flipping health secretary who can't keep it in his pants? <laughs> But I guess it has implications on sleeves Mighty and public bag. money and yeah, oh my yes. days. So for those who don't know. You're um, not better than us, Corey. You're not better than us. Okay. So you're not above it. So just do it. And you might as well just we're in the we're in we every week we talk about sleeves. So why change it now? Get in the mark, get in the dirt. Let's go. It's just, I mean, you know. So yesterday it broke. Well, it broke overnight, Thursday night. Uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, has been having an affair with an aide who is also a previous friend of his from university, whose brother also owns a company that got NHS contracts. Mm -hmm. Her husband, I mean, I mean, her husband is the founder and chief executive officer, I believe, of Oliver Bonas. She's also a board member of a PR and lobbying firm which has worked with companies which have received contracts from the government and they do propose a deep understanding of government and its inner workings. I believe um, British Airways is one of their clients who then got a 46 million contract to deliver PPE from China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was another one. I mean, she's, Uh, yeah, so the lobbying firm that she she comes from, they they are a lobbying firm to get people, to basically give people knowledge of, how government works and how they can get mm-hmm. government work. It's I just like how she knew that. So yeah, so this came out. Um, CCTV footage leaked from the laptop of Dominic Cummings. Uh, excuse me, that's we, unfounded. We don't know where it came from. We don't know where it came from. Uh, but CCTV. Don't blame leaked. Dominic for everything. It's not everything's not always his fault, you know. Well, I mean, he's, he sat before MPs three weeks he's ago. He's not Machiavelli, guys. You always say to me, "Why do we always believe Dominic Cummings? He's a proven liar. Why, why do we suddenly take his word as bond?" But now that you want, now you want to, to smear, to smear, it's all Dominic's fault. Okay, wait a minute. I don't. I'm not taking that for Dominic Cummings. I'm just saying, like. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. like. I'm just saying. Matt Hancock has clearly has a thousand million enemies. I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for him. I can't lie. Please don't. I can't lie. I know, all I'm I know, saying I is, 
all I'm saying is Dominic Cummings sat before MPs uh, three weeks ago for almost six hours detailing how he thought Matt Hancock was incompetent and he also then leaked WhatsApp messages from the Prime Minister who called Matt Hancock effing hopeless. I'm exactly. just saying maybe so he could have been Boris. Maybe he just thought he wanted to ramp it up a bit. He thought people weren't taking enough notice and he's like, guys, you need to know how bad the health secretary is. You know what? I've got some footage here of when he was getting in with one of the aides when he was also telling the rest of us to be socially distant. Mm-hmm. You weren't even allowed to hug and it was completely illegal to uh, meet indoors with people from so, outside of your family. So this is where I depart from the narrative of the today. Um, okay. So Matt Hancock didn't do anything illegal, technically, because... Yes, last year when he is alleged, well, it's not alleged, he had the affair, we've, we've seen the pictures. When he had the affair with this lady, his aide, um, at the time, you were, uh, we were not, it, it was illegal to, uh, I believe at the time, the rules changed so often, but I believe at the time it was illegal, this was in May last year, it was illegal to mix households. So yes, if they had been caught on his CCTV in his house, Yes, that would have been legal. However, well, because because, work, it wasn't illegal, because right? she was a colleague, they were colleagues, mm-hmm. and they were in the workplace. At best, he flouted guidance, which was what he said in his statement today. I'm sure that very carefully worded statement, probably by his his principal private secretary, helped him draft that. Um, he said that he was sorry for um, ignoring guidance because it was technically just guidance in the workplace. Obviously, if you're in the workplace, then you can't really socially distance. The guidance was that you should where you can. So at worst, he he did that. So for me, uh, uh, he didn't do anything illegal. But again, this isn't defending him, isn't it? Taking up for him, um, because so ill-advised behavior. I mean, no, but at the end of the day, and, and let me just say, making out with your mistress in the office. Yeah, let me just say, I think he should go. He should definitely. I think he should go because the thing is, it's the impression it creates. He technically, I don't think he should go, but I don't think he should go because he's having an affair. No, no, not just for this, and it's not just for the affair either. Although it does say something about our society where we are at the moment that if it was just a case of an affair, it wouldn't really do anything. It wouldn't really make I mean, news. It wouldn't make I news. Think an affair because is private, it is your private. I do agree. That's that where we are in society. Your life. So the issue no, no, is that's where we are as in a society. No, we are. No, we are. Because 30 years ago, 30 years ago, even an MP who was caught, a married, a married Secretary of State who was caught having an affair would very likely go. Like yes, I'm, so it is a mark of where we are inside. Whether you want to say that's a right or wrong. Do, oh, okay, all right. Whether, whether do you want to say separate the public and the private too. Whether you want to say it's, it, we've progressed and we've moved past that. If you want to say that, fine. I ain't sure about that. But that's a different issue uh, to we, we are where we are. It. That's that's how things would have been. But anyways, yes, he shouldn't be sacked just for that. But he should be sacked for yeah. the. Oh, he should he should go because at the end of the day, he was telling people have gone through a lot, and whilst on paper, on paper, I don't think this is actually a big deal, but it's the impression it creates. It's 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 juxtaposed against what he was telling people in terms of you know grieving with loved ones, weddings, not you know this guidance on hugging. I mean, I also that was way massively overboard, and I I I read and listened to news with derision a few weeks ago when they said, oh, we, you can finally start hugging again, and I thought, I mean, piss please, piss up. Well, Who's yeah. government? Who's government? The government overreach has been a bit you, mad to tell you who to hug. It should be your decision, but anyway, but it wasn't yeah, it's, illegal. It's an individual person. Well, choice about whether you want to engage in physical contact but the point is they were giving out this guidance all right and 
they were clearly he was talking about shaking hand with COVID. Right. So, I mean, um, so, so yeah, I think he should go. He won't go, of course, because you know, no. Teflon, anybody who does anything wrong in this current iteration of conservative government, it, it, Teflon. So nothing's going to happen. People keep saying, yes, he'll be gone by, by the He's weekend. He's not going anywhere. Me, they did the, the bare minimum is that Boris can't be firing anybody for having affairs as in is his favourite pastime. Do you know what I mean? So if Boris is firing people for having affairs on the job, then he, he would need to fire him himself. And, I, 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 and like yes, you said, is at the moment he acts as a shield. So they're going to keep him there for as long as they can. I mean... It's, it was it's very dumb. It was very dumb. I mean, I'm pretty sure Matt Hancock had his, a, an office which doesn't have any cameras in it. Why not do it in there? Why are you in the work corridor in front of a camera making out with your mistress? That's the other thing why as well you, for me. Why I mean, are you like, taking her out on dates? First of all, let's be like, why are you hiring your mate without due process? I mean, no, let's let's be let's be clear. We don't know there was no due it's process. True that there. There's I ain't trying to get sued. Right. You're right, you're sued. right. There, we don't right. know. There, there may or may not have been due process. You tweet that on your private tweet that on your private Twitter feed. I ain't trying to get sued. Uh, as far as we know, all the regular civil service checks and clearances and all of that was followed through until we know differently. <clears throat> Thank you. His brother, her brother's working for, I mean, it's just, like somebody said, Matt Hancock is just, you know, corruption 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 he's just i don't know if it's bad decision making i mean saying it's bad decision making is giving him a lot a lot a lot a lot of leeway because a lot of the contracts that he's awarding are looking very very sus so my um my brussels loving friend who i referenced last week and referenced again again now he he's always telling me and telling and always t- telling us that we should be we should be highlighting the effects of Brexit. And little plug: next week's show will be pretty much entirely Brexit, as this year is five. This week was five years since we voted to leave. Anyway, he's always saying that you know it's because of Brexit. It's, as far as he's concerned, everything's because of Brexit. You know, because he loves Brussels. I'm sure he'll be screaming, listening to me now. But anyway, but one part there's one area where I where I will take that that view, and and there is some merit to it in so far as. We clearly have a bunch of secretaries of state who are just incompetent or not even incompetent. They're just not very good. And then I guess the question is, well, is there nobody else? Maybe there isn't. But everybody in cabinet at the moment. Well, not everybody, but most people in cabinet were Brexiteers. And especially when Johnson first came in, he was very everybody who's who had a great office of state was a Brexiteer. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty, uh, what's his face? Who's foreign secretary? Dominic Raab, uh, Rishi, yeah, mm, kind of. But most people, especially then, were Brexiteers because you know Johnson, that quite understandably, wanted to bring people on who were going to support the agenda, which makes sense, to be honest. So I guess it does beg a question. Okay, well, if the pool could have been cast wider as to who could have been made ministers and secretaries of state, might we've got better people? I don't necessarily but don't think know. that we would have. I don't think. I think I don't think the net is that wide within the Conservative Party at the moment. Um, but it's mm-hmm. maybe something to consider. Maybe if we had another Health Secretary, if we had another Home Secretary, if we had an, another, what's his face, Oliver, what's his face, who's always in the news now, Culture Secretary. Maybe if there were others out there. I just think we have people in jobs who in the jobs who just don't know what they're doing. Because if you think about it, a lot of them are quite in, inexperienced as well. They are a lot of the, a lot of the people intake. who are a lot of the people who are se- who are secretaries of state. So those are the, the most senior go- ministers in government. A lot of them. In the in the May government, a lot of them weren't really that high up in Cameron's government. So these are people who don't necessarily have a lot of experience. They definitely yeah. don't have any experience in shadow in shadow governments because that mm. they haven't been in shadow government for ten years. So that's probably something to consider too. 
Yeah. A lot of these people yeah. are pretty young. When you think about over the past sort of 10, 15 years, well, going back forever, most people in these positions are sort of in their 50s, 60s. A lot of these guys are young. Matt Hancock's like 42. Pretty Patel's about 43. Richie's 30, <laughs> 35. Yeah, a lot of these people are quite young. Yeah, I'm not Richie, excusing Richie's it. I'm just mo- saying. It's moving like lightning, to be honest. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I won't put him in that, but I'm just saying a lot of them, yeah, he's a lot of them in these positions, quite a lot of them are quite young. You're not seeing, you know, the Ken Clark. Well, he's not there anymore. Or, you know, those kind of people who it's have been Ken in Clark. Parliament for like 20, 30, 40 years. Um, don't that's understand the machinations. That's mm-hmm. why it's all crumbling down around mm-hmm. us. And they're just calling all their mates from private business. They'd be like, <laughs> you guys can probably figure this out. And it's clear now that they can't. But, you know, Dido Harding might soon be head of the NHS. So. Indeed. It's going to. It can only get worse. We haven't discussed Brexit a lot. You know, we had the Australia trade deal, which was signed only recently. So, ne- and and of course, this week, uh, June the twenty third, was five years to the day since we voted to leave. Yeah. Um, so we decided to dedicate a whole show. So next week is just going to be about Brexit. So if you don't care about Brexit, Brexit anymore, Brexit, Brexit, catch up on old shows or come back in two weeks. And if you love Brexit or love to hear about Brexit or want a little new angle, if there is any new angles that can be taken on Brexit, make sure you listen next week. So for this week's Across the Pond section, I decided on a story that isn't very political because I was interested in it. So this week, um, I wanted to have a little chat about Michael B. Jordan, who is not from the Caribbean. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, American actor, who launched a new rum, a new Trinidadian rum called Juve. Now, Juve is means something very specific in the Caribbean, especially in Caribbean islands which have carnivals. Juve is the part of a carnival... So it's essentially it's part of the carnival it's it's from the french juve or juove basically daybreak something like that well it's daybreak um the breaking of day and essentially it's what happens uh before sunrise um depending on the island if it's in grenada it'll be jab jab so there'll be lots of oil in trinidad you'll have like paint and powder and it's just it's sort of like a precursor to the main carnival parade so this happens in the morning usually from sort of like 2 3 a.m till after the sun's come up hence the word juve so michael b jordan killmonger uh, decided to name his new rum Juve and he's been accused of cultural appropriation of disrespect and I think what got people riled up the most was he also trademarked it so he trademarked I think that was, I think that was the biggest issue was the trademark indeed yes and, and also with the trademark when you read the trademark as part of sort of the reasoning for the trademark um, it says on the trademark, this was something that was screenshot and sent everywhere all week on every social media channel. It says uh, the word has no meaning in any other language. And people took real offense to that. And I did too, mm-hmm. um, because this has real meaning. It, uh, juve, you know, as much as it's sort of about, you know, enjoyment and, and you know, there's a party atmosphere to it. It, 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 they, it relates back to, um, uh, well, depending on the island, it's very complicated. A lot more, mm-hmm. more time than we've got here. But essentially, it, it dates back to the days of slavery and immediately post-slavery, mm-hmm. where the Africans in the Caribbean, freedom. once they were emancipated, they would... Um, and this speaks to the whole of Carnival, essentially, because a lot of Carnival involves um, uh, essentially replicating what those freed slaves would do in terms of mocking their European well masters who then became colonial overlords, etc. Um, so... so you know, Juve Carnival, these things have real resonance to people in the Caribbean, people from the Caribbean, especially people from the Caribbean who participate in Carnival, because these things are, are very important to them in terms of, well, us, in terms of our history and, and what sort of our ancestors went through. And so I guess to see somebody trademark a term 
and say it has no meaning uh, really did get people rubbed up the wrong way. Yeah, it was, it, I don't know if I, I wouldn't want necessarily want to say that I characterise it as offensive, but it was extremely tone deaf. Um, but I'm one, I do, you know, to not to play devil's advocate, but I do also wonder maybe if the reason for putting that it didn't have a meaning was so that they could get the trademark because maybe, maybe if it does have a meaning in a different language, it makes trademarking it more of an issue, which, you know, in and of itself might have been something that they need to consider. But I find it hard um, to believe that they really believed. I find it hard to believe that. No, because they described the name of the rum as GK yeah. as having meaning. So they knew that it has meaning. So yeah. I assume that they, they put that definition specifically for the trademark because in the press pack, it says Juve means daybreak, and they talk about they talk about this mm. um, the whole experience. Right. So, I do I do think you know yes, it was a bit tone deaf, but his business pa- partners are also Trinidadian, so mm. there is ownership there, and I think I think also it would what, have been interesting to for there to have been a rum called Juve. I probably would have bought it. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's interesting though with that as well is you mentioned his business partner was Trinidadian. In a lot of the outrage online, he's got off scot free because everybody's been focused on Michael B. Jordan. Absolutely. Um, I don't know he's how much of that is to do with the fact the that he's American. I don't know how much of it to do with the fact that he's just because he's the famous partner. I guess it's a bit of both. Um, yeah. And, you know, ine- inevitably it's sort of stoked the diaspora wars, you know, uh, people from, yeah, the diaspora wars. Um, which is sad to see, but you can understand why people have been. I can understand why people have, have been angry, especially with that trademark and describing it as having the word having no meaning. And I do think that you know, I think we are sensitive as people from the Caribbean because you know sometimes think that we don't have our own unique culture. And you know, as it was Windrush Day the other day, it is so important to us to recognize that we built a culture from the embers of the culture that we no longer had access to and we made something beautiful and our own and we celebrate it in a variety of ways but also it comes to a lovely combination in being celebrated through carnival and through juve and through mass so it is i think that's something that is important and precious to people so we can definitely um our feathers can bristle when we think that somebody might be taking the mick um but i don't i think I think we can apply good faith to Michael B. Jordan. I don't think it was meant in malice. And I don't think that it was, um, it was something that they were trying to steal. I think it was, it could have been a celebration of something that was beautiful. And we could have been on Juve drinking Juve rum as we walk down the mountain, you know, when we're finally free to go back to Trinobago. And it would have been a, um, which mountain? Beautiful... You know, no, that's Juve... a line from Kez's song. They no mountain in Port of Spain. That's streets. Cor- Corey, I don't know which Corey, Juve you went Corey, to. Every Corey, Juve I've been to Trinidad has I mean, been on the let street. Me t- flat. Well, that's flat. down at the bottom. No oh, you didn't go. You went what? in mountains? Yeah, from the... We went... Which we mountain? went. Well, if you would let me talk. You, My you, God, shush. So, did you play Juve with? I played Juve. Who did I play Juve with? Um, The Owls? Dirty Owls? Never heard of them. Well, we were started. We went. We didn't start Juve on down in town. We went to the beginning and we went. We oh. did the whole. So sun, the sunrise is coming, mm-hmm. and we're coming down. I mean, I say mountain is probably a hill. Oh, yeah, Either way, what, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we're so coming Kez wasn't lying in his song. You know, and we're coming mm-hmm. down the mountain. Thousands of us. The sun is coming up over the hills. 
there's a sea of people uh, we're all covered in paint there's water flying through the air and we're all moving to the beat at the same time and it was very very spiritual it was a very spiritual experience it felt beautiful to all be connected together vibes and everyone's tired at this point having it like you know so it it was it could have been a beautiful thing unfortunately they made they made a misstep i look forward to seeing it coming out with a new name Hopefully it's something that also does st still have a, does have a link to Trinidad as one of the business partners is Trinidadian. And if it is supposed to be a celebration of that, that would be great. This past Tuesday was Windrush Day, June the 22nd every year now. It's commemorated as Windrush Day. It commemorates the day when the Empire Windrush docked in Tilbury and brought the first group of Caribbean immigrants on a mass migration level in 1948 to Britain. Um, so every year I like celebrating Windrush Day, reminds me of where I come from, reminds me of my grandparents. However, in this day, in, in this day, in our day, uh, there was a lot of attention placed on the Windrush scandal as it is known to, as it has become known, which is the process by which as a result of the government's hostile immigration policy, many people who either came over from the Caribbean as part of the Windrush generation, who were people who came over here from 1948 to 1972. And also some of their children who were even born here had, were either had passports revoked, had housing taken, had uh, restricted, were, 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 didn't, couldn't access benefits. And in some cases, people were deported back to the Caribbean. So as much as this is a scandal, as much as the government is doing a woeful job, at actually compensating people. To date, the vast majority of people who have been affected have not been compensated yet as a part of the government's so-called compensation scheme. As much as it's a terrible scandal, as much as uh, community Caribbean, British Caribbean community leaders need to be keeping their foot on the neck of Priti Patel, Boris Johnson, and any other government departments who have responsibility for this. I say all that to say this, it's sort of, it sort of winds me up that that overshadows the whole thing. It overshadows the whole aspect of, of celebrating Windrush, celebrating that generation, celebrating the people who came over here, who started a new life, who essentially started brand new communities of whom we are the, the inheritors. And I guess I'd just like to see more attention on, on that while still paying attention to government cock-ups, but also, you know, finding things to celebrate. Um, I'm not trying to sound like Tony Sewell and his race commission report, but, you know, finding things to celebrate because there is a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to um, congratulate and and pat our elders on the back, you know, whether they're spiritually, if they're not here and, and physically, if they're still here. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd just like to say that. I think there should be, I think we should be paying equal attention to celebrating the legacy of Windrush and the Windrush generation at the same time as we put pressure on the government for the contemporary issues. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.